Hello, Vipar. Hi, Edgard. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. So, what are we doing today? I guess today we are going to conclude our podcast on the Neketsu. This would be the second installment of the Neketsu podcasts. Exactly. If you have any questions or comments, we look forward to receive them. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud, or directly through the email discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me. My name is Edgar Danielson. I am Gregoire Pierre. And welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. So, Gregoire, just to help our audience remember some details that are important, what are Neketsu? So, Neketsus are a specific kind of manga. Manga are Japanese comics. And among mangas, you have a very wide variety of productions. So, you have mangas for women, men, old people, young people. Anyway, among mangas, you have shonen. Shonen are designed for young teenagers, or teenagers in general. And among those shonen, you have a specific kind which is called neketsu. A neketsu is a Japanese term that can be translated by boiling blood because it always is about the story of a hero who will have to overcome his difficulties through the internal force that he has within. As we were talking before, these are the equivalent of fairy tales, but in this case we are looking at stories that go on for many years, correct? Yeah, my hypothesis is that Nikitsus are somewhat fairy tales for teenagers, and they can be understood the same way Betelheim understood fairy tales, like somewhat the same mechanism as a dream. I realized that Nikitsus are following codes, And so during the last podcast, we um, mentioned a few of the codes and how I think they are relevant in terms of how they mirror the experience of being a teenager. So let's continue with some of the elements or of the stories or codes, as you name them. The one we will talk about first today is the hero, who is usually an honest and innocent boy, always has to better himself in order to have victory over their enemies. So that's the element, a hero that always is trying to better himself yeah. in order to have victory or conquer the enemies. Exactly. So my sense is Nikitsu almost always portray a hero that has something extraordinary and at the same time can be uh, quite ridiculous. And I think that really portrays how teenagers uh, dream that they can be and somehow how they experience themselves uh, in the world. Still, the hero has to face situations that are too complicated for him to deal with at the point he is facing them. There are two solutions to that situation. One is to better oneself and the other is to create a friendship 
And this code is about how the hero has to better himself. So the first way is how the hero in the Neketsu trains a lot. They have to train to become stronger and stronger. And that's where the term Neketsu comes from. They have to find their inner force, mm -hmm. their boiling blood to overcome what seemed possible to overcome before. Mm -hmm. That's one way the, the hero is going to be stronger. And there is another one. Usually when the hero is confronted with his death or very close friend's death or imminent death, usually they transform. They have some kind of power boosts. For instance, in Dragon Ball, Sangoku at some point has to witness his uh, very old friend Krillin, who is um, a character that we see very early in, in the Neketsu, exploded by the antagonist. And uh, Sangoku is just too tired. He can't do anything and he's witnessing his best friend's terrible death completely um, impotent there was an explosion you mean yeah, yeah. okay the character, so the character explodes yeah at that moment the nikitsu offer to sengoku or goku the possibility to become what they call in the manga a super saiyan he becomes extremely powerful that's one example among others mm -hmm. that's something that happens most of the time in Nikitsu, main character will gain a boost of power. It actually portrays two different ways that the teenagers can relate to their own body. The first one is they train and they become stronger through training. And that's, I would say, a body of pleasure. Mm -hmm. And then there is also the body that is used to express what words can say. And I think it's one way, it's not the only way, but it's one way to understand those magical transformation when you say a body that expresses what words cannot are you referring to the magical transformation of the body that's what you're saying yeah so I'm what does it what does it communicate it communicates what words can communicate communicate the despair despair it's pretty obvious when you read the naked Zeus. when those characters have those transformation it is because they are desperate. Mm -hmm. They don't transform to joy. They train and they become stronger through mm -hmm. joy. Okay. They train with each other, they fight, they learn new techniques, and they have pleasure learning mm -hmm. that. And then there is another way they become stronger, is facing something that is unspeakable, and the body takes over. Okay. Which I think really illustrates two very important connections that teenagers have to their body that they don't have as much through childhood. When you're talking about the connections to the body, what comes to my mind is that when you're referring to the training, it reminds me of how much adolescents together in teams play sports, find themselves being more powerful, yeah. capable, skillful, etc. That wasn't yeah. my case. Let me say that. But I was not into <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's what <laughs> that's and, what I've seen. Psychoanalyst. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what comes to my mind. Would you say that that's part of a nekatsu? Yeah, really. Okay. I think that's exactly that. Okay. And, but it is romanticized. So it's an idealization. Yeah, because the pain is completely overcame by joy. By joy. By pleasure they have mm -hmm. becoming stronger. I suppose our experience of sport is not as much related to joy. No, no, no. <laughs> it is for some people, though. I guess so. Some people talk about endorphins and, and things like that. Yeah. I don't know what... Mystery things. <laughs> Mysterious. You know, in fantasies <laughs> they might have. Okay, so shall we go to the next element that you find in the Neketsu? Let's do uh, that. So that's about the hero's will and how friends are connected to that will. Can you tell us more about that? 
it actually connects with the previous code. Mm -hmm. The hero gain his will to fight, his will to be better through his friends. And so that's the second way Nikitsu's heroes are better themselves. To better themselves, yeah. yeah. And it's almost literal, it's almost transparent. How the, It's almost a, a transparent symbolism. I think that's what we talk about in the TAT. You don't know about the TAT? No. You know the... the Enlighten the, me. The, um, the pictures that you show to people... The Rorschach, you know the Rorschach. Oh, oh that and TAT okay. is, is a different kind of test like that. Oh, I, re I remember learning. Now I remember, you're a psychologist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was trained as such, but with a psychoanalytic perspective, yes. for sure. You have a transparent symbolism, which usually is connected to hysteric personality. Hmm. It speaks for itself. It's supposed to be symbolic, but it's actually very transparent. And I think that's the situation here, is that friends in Nikitsu's are central. They are always there to help the hero. And the fact that Nikitsu's are so long really allows for a deep understanding of and subtle description of how the characters relate. And I think that's very precious for teenagers. So what I find very interesting is that the hero actually is never able to win by himself. Even after the magical power boost, even as strong as they become, the mm -hmm. hero always fails at the end. Even with magical powers? Even so. Mm -hmm. To me, it's a very interesting point. A, a bit under-evaluated because it happens only at the end of Nikitsu. And, okay. I mean, especially at the end, because you have different arcs. Uh -huh. And there is somewhat of a repetition of those dynamics through arcs, but the last arc is the strongest in terms of all those symbolism and how those things become important. So at the end, the hero is never able to beat the antagonist. And what happens is that the antagonist is being defeated by the hero, usually, but with significant help from his friends. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, I think, last time, at the end, it's through the help of the friends and or everybody else. Like, I, I think in, in Dragon Ball, the end of Dragon Ball, Goku asks for every human on Earth to share their energy with him so that he can defeat a <laughs> bad guy. <laughs> But that's not enough because then you have to have a Vegeta who will help and give the final blow to the enemy. Again, I'm going back to, it's very interesting in terms of reintegration, how you need the rival who was once uh, someone so mm -hmm. much in pain to really beat the antagonist and also how the hero as strong as he can be and really there's a pleasure for the readers to see how strong the hero is mm -hmm. there's something cathartic about it but it never works out by himself the way you are describing this interactions with friends brings to mind the word narcissism how do you see it unfolding in in the Neketsu in regards with the fact that the hero never wins or never is able to conquer unless he connects with friends I think the very important point in the Neketsu is that and it's probably connected to the Japanese culture that narcissism is not the solution despite the fact that the naked Sioux seem to advertise in some ways for narcissism because the hero is the center of the whole story and yes. you can see how the hero is getting stronger and stronger mm -hmm. i think the fact that at the end it is never enough is a strong message that narcissism cannot be the solution that in a society you have to work with others if you want to grow up you can't just love yourself you have to love others That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, I, I grow up. There's something to it because it happens so systematically. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the way you're describing this makes me think of a question. In what ways you would compare Neketsu with some of our heroes in the United States, like, let's say, Superman? There is something connected to that in the sense that every superhero has a weakness. They are in pain in some way. Mm -hmm. Like Spider-Man lost his uncle, Batman lost his parents, Superman is uh, sensitive to kryptonite. It is something that is useful in terms of narration. Yes. But it, it, it also talks about something of, of orchestration. Yeah. But the difference is, I would say, is that Superman usually deals with things by himself. Correct, yes. Uh, Batman usually deals with things by himself, yes. uh, etc. The question of friendship doesn't seem... I'm not, I, I don't know as much comics as I, as I know Neketsu's, but it seems to me that the question of friendship is really not as developed. In this comics that we're but talking about. I think about. it also talks about the American culture that is a lot mm -hmm. more individualistic mm -hmm. than the Japanese culture that is, for better or worse, much more... Um, Community-oriented. Yeah. Also, something I would like to say is that it feels to me that in some ways we should understand how the hero becomes so strong as a way for Naked to, to offer some kind of magical relief to the teenager. I think that's something Betolheim mentions in his book about fairy tales, is that in some ways naked suits are giving a break to the teenager. Like saying, okay, if you are facing things that you can't deal with, losses you can't tolerate, mm -hmm. let's use some magical thinking. Mm -hmm. Let's pretend that you become a super saiyan, like mm -hmm. in uh, Dragon Ball Z. Or let's, be let's pretend that you become so, so strong in general. Mm -hmm. Let's agree that sometimes life is unbearable and that you don't have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. That even your friends, even all the progress that you made are not enough to tolerate what you're dealing with. And it's okay to just dream a bit. Dream a little bit? Yeah. So the fantasy becomes a defense in that sense? A, a good uh, the magical, the magical, magical because, because yeah. a good defense against yeah. the breakdown. Yeah, it's a way of dealing with the breaking down, breaking of the, the whole world. It's a way of coping. Okay. It's very interesting that the hero has to use friends and that the hero will never succeed in defeating the antagonist by himself. Is that the hero is confronted with frustrations and that he has to learn how to manage them. Yes. While the antagonist mm -hmm. doesn't give a damn about frustration. The mm -hmm. antagonist goes his own way or mm -hmm. her own way. Usually it's a male too. It's very interesting to see how they are portraying how it's necessary to renounce the dream of being almighty through the hero and how the antagonist who doesn't renounce will be the one who loses at the end. The renouncing the grandiosity allows you to... To grow to, up. To, yeah, okay. Because the antagonist doesn't and uh -huh. can't grow up. The antagonist stays a child. Yes. And then, he, and then he disappears. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. The next element, it's connected also to the group of friends, the circle of friends, and it's the end of the story, that group of friends come together. To me, it is an illustration of how the psychical integration is successful and how there is no more need to train and to be stronger. Mm -hmm. At the end of the story, all the characters, meaning all the different identifications that the reader can have within him, yes. are together yes. in peace. Mm -hmm. And they are not training anymore. They're not fighting anymore. Okay. It's over. You graduated, you became an adult, yes. or you are on your way to become an adult, and it's fine. Yeah, there's you, a resolution. Yeah, you mourn childhood. Yes. 
I wanted to point that out because I think it's really not just by chance mm. that it is so frequent. You said you mourn childhood. I wonder if also you mean you mourn adolescence. Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they Probably become an adults go. and... Or you can maybe experience adolescence safely as a transition. As a transition into adults. To adults instead of a transition mm -hmm. from childhood keeping you okay. there. I hear you. As we continue to go deeper into the elements, let's talk about erotism, which is one of the elements in the Nagatsu. Erotism is usually present in Nagatsu, but not that much. Characters are not very sexualized. You might have some female characters with big breasts mm -hmm. who have very sexy outfits. You might have male character like that too, but there's very little sexuality between characters. It's mostly about the object that represents sexuality. The body being an, among the object. But is there any kind of touching no. between characters? No. No. That's the thing, that Nikitsus are very shy about that. No. In some ways, they are pretty much failing. My sense is it works out for teenagers because what they have to go through is already too much. If you were to add erotism uh -huh. and the discovery of genital desire, it would be too completely much. overwhelming. And so it's as if the naked Sue were in alliance with a teenager to just say, okay, let's, let's put that aside. Teenagers who would want to read about different kind of connections between people would mm -hmm. have different styles of manga or shonen to read. But clearly the naked Sue are going to keep them safe from that. Mm, I see. The moment where characters are touching the, when they fight. That's what I was thinking aggression and sexuality intertwined but mostly seen as aggression you know how teenagers fight it's usually more erotic mm -hmm. uh, between yes. boys um yeah. I assume there is something similar between girls, but mm -hmm. like boys will fight and mm -hmm. they will touch each other this way. An interest for the other's body. Yes. Since it can't really be expressed through adult erotism, it is expressed mm -hmm. through punching, kicking, uh, you Correct. know, uh, jumping on each other and things like that. When okay. people watch sports, there's some touching between those who are playing. I think it's something like that. And mm. so I would say that erotism in Nikitsu is really mostly expressed through touch, through fights. But there is an erotism in Nikitsu that is expressed through pain. And because I think if anyone here are listening uh, ever looked at Nikitsu, they will be surprised by how much characters are suffering. You can see how bodies are being torn apart, are being dismembered, bodies become monstrous. I think it actually talks to teenagers who are living childhood, get some kind of enjoyment or pleasure through the pain they have in their body. While the, the body is growing, yeah. you mean? It's talking about the confusion mm -hmm. that can happen during teenagehood. Yes. And also how teenagers will see their own bodies and their friends' body as somewhat monstrous too. Bodies are growing in such a way that the adolescent sometimes feels that he has no control. And the arms true. are too long, stumbles, yeah, it's, and there's some it's pain. It's harmonious. 
No. And the hair is growing for men and for mm. women. There's something that clearly shifts from childhood. And I think naked suits are picking up on that through how the bodies are being treated mm -hmm. and how there are even some naked suits like one called Senseiya where often the, the characters guys fighting in armors and their armors are being destroyed and then their clothes are being destroyed and then their bodies will take some C shape because of the pain. It's not very podcasty because I'm moving my arm right now. Yes, I, well, I, I understand what you're doing, but yeah, but it's but, making a C. So I'm making a C because really the body is being, so one C one side and then the C from the other side. And it reminds me of painting of, a, I think, a scent being killed with harrows. Mm -hmm. and, and you can see in the painting how there's something- St. Sebastian? The pleasure of- pain. Yeah, the joy of suffering. Yeah, that can be very well represented in Naked Zeus. Fantastic. It's a narcissistic pleasure. It's never about the sexuality between two people. Mm -hmm. The sexuality is one's own. I think it reflects pretty well the difficulty of teenagers. Now that we have talked a little bit about the body and erotism in the Naked Zoo, let's talk a little bit about time. As you have explained, the stories, the Naked Zoo, go on for a long time, many years, and then they stop. Yes, I think there is a financial aspect to it, but it also really helps the reader to get in touch with a subtle evolution of the characters. For instance, in Nikitsus, it is pretty rare to have a character change all of a sudden without any prior explanation. It doesn't mean that you will understand while reading the Nikitsu that the character will change. Are you, talk, are, are you talking you about changes, physical changes or emotional changes? Emotional. Emotional changes. But when the character does change emotionally, uh -huh. then you can go back mm -hmm. and see the evolution and understand all the clues that were actually laid out in the narration for quite a while. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very beneficial aspect to teenagers because they can really take their time to really get used to the object, adopt the object. I don't know mm -hmm. exactly how to say it. feel very connected to it. Perhaps another way of saying is that it's not a threatening object. It changes subtly. And it's uh, a consistent one, which I think is very important. It really allows teenagers to integrate the different identification that a naked suit offers to them. But I don't think that's enough to be relevant. I think it becomes really relevant in the sense that naked suits start and eventually end. And that, I think, is a significant difference because it does offer a complete experience with an object. Mm -hmm. You can see the beginning, you can see the end, you can go back to the beginning to understand the end. You know, the object is full. Mm -hmm. Like, there is always something lacking in any object. But you can see it grow and you can separate from it. That's very important because this separation goes along with what I believe is the main goal of Neketsu's or how it can be used. It's to mourn childhood. Uh -huh. And in some ways, when the Nikitsu end, it is a metaphor for the childhood that really ends within the teenager who can then now move on to adulthood safely. In the Nikitsu, the hero stays alive when the Nikitsu ends. So this is not about death in the old age. I this think usually... They, no, no, it's, it's a symbolic death. 
it's meta in some ways. Mm-hmm. The fact that there is an end to the narration symbolizes the end of the process. And it becomes important when you compare it to other productions. Because, for instance, most of the French comics don't have a real end. For instance, Tintin, mm-hmm. uh, that which we referred to in the introduction of the previous podcast, yeah. which is supposedly very famous. There's no end in Tintin. It's not mm-hmm. as if at the end, Tintin finally reached his goal and is happy about it, mm-hmm. is confident about it. No, there's a story, another story, another story, another story. And it goes on, yes. And same for comics. Superman never ends his fight or his quest or mm-hmm. his struggles. There's no perspective. And it seems to me that the Nikitsu here are offering a fundamentally different experience to their readers because when you can separate from an object, you can mourn it correctly. When the object never ends, then the separation only comes from boredom, resentment. It's not Mm -hmm. nourishing in the way Nikitsu can nourish their reader and allow them to move on. Yes. You see, comics don't want to frustrate their readers. Batman is going to go on forever. Mm-hmm. Batman doesn't have a goal where at the end, the producer, the writers, the, all the team members are going to be like, yeah, okay, Batman's done. Now let's move on to a different character. Let's create something else. Yes. It's never going to happen. So if you want to separate from Batman or any other kind of superhero like that, you just have to be bored with it, be done with it. And mm-hmm. I think the Nikitsu are offering something much more substantial in the sense that the story ends, the st- story finds a conclusion. There's a closure yeah, to the story. Yeah, closure, exactly. Yeah. One thing that you mentioned is that the reader of the Nekitsu, once the character changes in some ways, the reader can go back and see how the features were laid down in the narrative. Yeah. It reminds me that in some other sagas, for example, Star Wars, after the original saga, now we are creating new stories that somehow explain what happened in the saga. Yeah. While in the Nekitsu, all the details are laid out as the story progresses. You find in some Nikitsu's moments where, for instance, in a manga called Bleach, there are a numbers of uh, issues that are not about what's going on with Ichigo, the main character, but about something that happened way before. Mm-hmm. But it is included in the story. Correct. At some point, the main story is on pause, and you have this somewhat prequel. Yes. And then the story goes on, and you have a different look at everything that will happen after and mm. everything that happened before. Before. You can see that in Star Wars, it's very likely that George Lucas and the producing team didn't think it through that way. They mm-hmm. didn't. They probably had a sense of what they wanted to tell in general, but certainly not to the level of detail that you can find in Nekitsu. They gave some clues about what could have happened before in the first three, like four, five, six. But you can see from the one to three that there were some big gap that gaps that they didn't mm-hmm. think about and that make the yeah. prequel kind of shallow in some ways. I mean, they were crap. <laughs> Just, just to put it this way. What's interesting in the fact that the story begins and ends with Naked Suze is that the hero gets older in a logical way. Not just you have Spider-Man who's a teenager and then Spider-Man being an adult. No, it's chronological. The hero doesn't go back in time. 
I think it helps the readers to go along with the story, to mm -hmm. identify with all the characters as they are growing up, and eventually it really helps to separate. Yes. And finally, I want to connect that with the American culture, and probably in some ways some of the French and or maybe European culture, but there's something about how it seems difficult to deal with castration. Comics are an illustration of how you need to keep on nourishing the audience, that you can think about your product in terms of what will actually be useful to the people who read it. You want to keep on pleasing them. I think it has to do with it. Castration or I think also the sanitation of life, meaning life and death. Death becomes sanitized in the United States. Yeah. Um, In some European cultures, death is not that sanitized. Yeah, people don't die. And the story doesn't die either. Something like that. Now that we have talked about all these elements, ending with the fact that Neketsu's end at some point, let's talk a little bit about the clinical work. And now to the clinical work. I wanted to give some clinical illustrations to all the points I tried to uncover regarding Neketsu. Neketsu illustrate how change, real change, requires a number of attempts that will not always be successful. It reminds us of how the characters our patients bring in therapy are always connected to them that when our patients talk about some figures, it's about what they have inside them. It's also what they need to separate from and maybe what they need to learn to reintegrate. Neketsu reminds us that in our clinical work, it's very important to never devalue someone that the patient is going to talk about and that we always should try to aim at understanding how this person, this figure, is intricated in the patient's psychical dynamic. Mm -hmm. Because we can often jump into, oh yeah, this person is unbearable. Of course, you're right. Of course, it's terrible. But when you do that, Yes, you can be supportive with a patient, but you might miss the fact that there are characters in the in a story. In, in the, in the story. Yeah. So I think Nikitsus can remind us of that. Yeah. And Nikitsus remind us that the struggles between the hero and the antagonist are about the ambivalence in human psyche and that the ambivalence will lead to some destruction. Let's say the antagonist seems to want to destroy everything, that everything can go and disappear just for the antagonist to stay in his magical thinking, in his position of almightiness. That is something that is easy to want to change when you're a therapist. You can really see how that is something that needs to be worked on if you have a patient who shows traits like that. Mm -hmm. But I want to bring up the fact that the hero also is connected to an idea of loss and destruction. Yet what seems important is that the hero creates loss and destruction through links, through connection. It's about mourning. Like the hero is actually destroying everything too. Is destroying childhood, is giving up on that. The question of deconstruction, of destruction, the, it's not just people who are actively aggressive or actively mean or actively trying to stay children. Like there is a deconstruction and destruction within what we would call normal change. And that, I think, is an illustration of death drive and life drive in the sense that it's always a balance between connection and disconnection. 
And when we listen to our patient, that is something we should really hear. It's a mix of unraveling and raveling. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a good balance between those two, people are going to experience psychical pain. The way you're describing the clinical implications sounds like we are in the session listening to a story. Yeah. Which reminds me of Pharaoh and his idea that the psychoanalytic session is in fact a dream and therefore we can explore the constant condensation and displacement and all of that. The whole session becomes a dream. I wouldn't go as far as thinking that the mm-hmm. whole session becomes a dream, but I would certainly encourage people to consider the fact that there's an aspect of the session that is dreamlike. Yes. A real struggle when you're an analyst is to balance how much of the session is of a dreamlike process and how much it is actually connected to some kind of social reality. Yeah. yeah. It's not as if people were living in just mm-hmm. their bubble. I understand there what you're saying. There is something like yes. oppression. Yeah, and for example, and if the patient is talking about the spouse who is aggressive, what is reality and what is part of the story or the fantasy of the patient? Sometimes we have no idea. Yeah, we are probably very much tempted to feel like we do. Yes, and sometimes we feel that we have to align or collude with a patient against the character of the spouse, meaning the the, the person. Going back to the Nikitsu, I think the Nikitsu are telling us about how the characters are also actually part of the patient's self. Yes. How the patient identified himself or herself to some figures, yes, and that he or she is bringing back to sessions. Correct. And so, to conclude with the clinical expressions, I would say that naked sues remind us that when patients come to therapy, they always tell us a story about a loss that cannot be achieved, and that therapy are about rewriting the novel of our patient's life mm-hmm. and how they can re-understand themselves, change the past in some ways, how they can look back in the past like we could look back in a naked zoo and think, oh, now I understand. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. Yeah, Psychoanalyst Stephen Gross said that when we cannot find a way of telling our story, our story tells us. We dream these stories, we develop symptoms, or we find ourselves acting in ways we don't understand. And well, of course, seems pretty correct to me. Yeah. Gregoire, thank you for those clinical illustrations. And now let's talk a little bit uh, about what is missing in the naked zoo or what fails in the naked zoo. So tell me a little bit about what fails in the naked zoo or what's missing. As we pointed out earlier, the genital sexuality is completely or mostly uh, evacuated or absent from naked zoos. And they really don't try to explore the complexity of loving relationship. It stays most of the time pretty childish. Or I would say how a child would perceive adult sexuality. Really no inner exploration of uh, what could happen from one person to another. To another. With, yeah. a, des- with a sexual desire. Mm-hmm. So that is absent. And, but as I mentioned earlier, adolescents who would want to have mangas uh, about it could certainly find some. But naked zoos certainly are not a good source for that. Also, a critique I would address to the naked zoo is that they become really relevant when you finish them. What do you mean? All the question about the castration becomes relevant at the end. If you don't follow until the end, uh, what you see are only uh, narcissistic gratifications. The character becomes uh, more and more powerful 
Uh-huh. Nothing can resist him. Eventually, everybody loses against him. But only at the end, you see that the hero will fail. As I mentioned before, at the end of each arc, you have something like that. But the moment where the Nikitsus are really turning the table around the relevance of narcissism is at the end. Only at so, the end, they really say, no, 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 no. We gave you everything you wanted. And that will not be enough. You have to use your friends. You have to use others to deal with the antagonist. Mm-hmm. So it comes a little late. Also, I think that the representation of bodies in some way is more diverse than in most of the comics because the physical representation of men and women It's probably very connected to the Japanese culture, but some men are very feminine in ways you don't see at all in comics where they are very muscular, um, some kind of stereotype. A stereotype of, of masculinity. While in Nikitsu's, some very strong male characters can have very feminine look. Mm-hmm. And it's no big deal. And you also have very different aspects in terms of women. But they are, most of them are white. White. It's very rare to see、uh, any kind of other color. For Japanese readers, it's probably not a problem, but I would say that for Americans or French readers, it can be、uh, somewhat of a problem that there's no identification support that will display another kind of、uh, skin color than just white. I mean, you will have other colors, but they will be、uh, some kind of alien colors, like green, pink, but you don't have variety of terms of human skin color. Shades of a human skin color.、Yeah. Okay. Those that are green and pink are also characters in the story? or?、Oh, yeah. Do you have any idea why they are colorful? I think it's because of the idea of the animal or the monstrous,、uh-huh. the inhuman. It's put in a broader way. That's where I would、okay. go. Finally, I would say that the naked suits are failing for girls. Because even if you can find different k i n d of body shape for either boys or girls, Girls are usually very stereotyped. It is rare to find a girl that doesn't fall for the hero or、um, is not driven、mm-hmm. by her attachment to the hero, while the hero can certainly be in love with a girl who doesn't love him or things like that, but is driven by something else. So, in terms of what motivates a female character, the Nikitsus are pretty poor, I would say. Let's move now to the conclusion of our second podcast on Neketsu. As we conclude our podcast, any final thoughts? Well, I had two thoughts. First, I want to say that we've been talking about the Neketsu in terms of paper. Many people know about the Neketsu through their animated shape that people can see on TV. And I would like to mention something I noticed that the voiceover in America think are completely wrong in how they portray the characters. It's as if team who decided to voice over the Dragon Ball, Naruto, Bleach, etc., didn't realize that they were talking to teenagers. It's, it's as if they were only talking to kids. The voice are very caricatural, there's no subtlety. It strikes me because in France, the voiceovers are very different, and you, you find animes with voiceovers that are terribly caricatural, and it becomes even funny. But I think they have a sense that it, it is caricatural. The feeling I got from watching some anime in, in America is that they really take seriously the fact that being character, caricatural is good, and I think it's a deep misunderstanding of the subtlety of what's at stake in those stories. Another point to open actually is that I believe that a lot of what I、um, understood in the Neketsu. 
can be seen in any successful production. I would like to give the example of House MD. In House MD, you have the character of House, who is in some ways an unbearable character. And my hypothesis is that the show would not have been such a success if they didn't have House MD's friend at the same time. You have to allow the audience to identify with both someone aggressive, sociopathic in some ways, and also someone who's giving and who's, uh, who wants to help people, who's nice, who's a nice guy. I think his name was Wilson, but I'm... Because if you only have a character like House, the show will not appeal to as many people. If you want to appeal to a broader audience, you need to put on the image the complexity of their own psyche so that they can identify different parts of themselves to different characters. And the more variety you have in the characters, the easier it will be uh, for the audience to relate. To put it simply, I think there are other factors, but I think it's an important one. Let's go now to some suggestions, reading suggestions for our audience. Gregoire, anything you would like to recommend? The only thing I would recommend is really for people to read The Uses of Enchantment by Bedelheim. Yes. There are other books in French, but I don't think it will touch a lot of our audience. Okay. And I would like to mention the book by Stephen Cross. I quoted him a few minutes ago about how telling our stories um, help us grow. Then the stories don't tell us. He has a book that's titled The Examined Life, How We Lose and Find Ourselves. And it's a series of encounters in the psychoanalytic room. Um, so it's a great book, and it's about how people find themselves by telling their stories. Thank you for listening to this podcast of discussions on psychoanalysis. We look forward to your comments and questions. You can find us on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for discussions on psychoanalysis and you should find us. Or directly through the email psychoanalysis at pm.me. As we receive your comments and questions, we will respond to them in our next podcast next month. And don't forget to give us five stars on iTunes if you like the podcast. Thank you. Thank you.